Hey everyone, my name is John. I get to serve here as the executive pastor. Great to see all of you this morning. Great to worship with you. As uh, Pastor Ryan shared with you, we're taking a break from our normal sermon series this morning and looking at a special topic. So if you want to grab your Bible and open with me to the first couple of pages, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1 this morning. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 24. As today we reflect on the sanctity or the sacredness of human life. I think there may never in our country been as important a time as this for Christians to reflect on this issue. This is a time when you and I need to be equipped with the Bible and how to think, how to pray, how to respond, how to live in relationship to this issue. I don't know how many of you are aware of this, but uh, right now, after 49 years as of yesterday, it's been assumed in our country that uh, abortion is something that is legally protected. But right now in the Supreme Court, there's a case happening right now, Dobbs versus Jackson's Jackson Women's Health Organization, a Supreme Court case that is reconsidering this whole issue, that is reconsidering how our country treats this issue. If you're not up to speed on that, I want to encourage you to, to, to keep up to date on that and be praying for that. One great resource you can use is a podcast called The Briefing. A guy named Al Moeller, great, wise uh, Christian thinker every single morning. Uh, I, my, my vision of him doing this podcast is that he basically at 5 a.m. every day takes out the newspaper and for 20 minutes reads the headlines and talks to you about it from the Bible. He's a super intelligent guy, super faithful Christian, and uh, I found it really helpful for staying up to speed on this Supreme Court case as we've gone through it. As a result of this case being at the Supreme Court right now, you and I, for watching the news and talking with other people, we're hearing arguments and questions that we haven't heard in a while. Questions like this. Whose right takes the priority? A pregnant mom or an unborn child? Is adoption a viable alternative to an abortion? Will making abortion illegal actually protect lives? Are pro-lifers actually just a bunch of hypocrites who only care about unborn lives and not lives after they've come out of the womb? Shouldn't everybody have a right to choose? How can you tell a woman she doesn't have the right to choose? Now is the time for Christians to look at the Bible and know how Scripture informs how we think, how we talk, and how we act in relationship to this issue so that's what we're here to do this morning. Um, I also want to say, before we get too far into this, I want to say that you know, if you've been coming to Peace Church for a while, that we want to be clear about what the Bible says. It's something we strive for every single Sunday. But this morning, I want you to know and I want you to hear, please don't hear our clarity as condemnation. Please don't hear our clarity on what the Bible says as condemnation. My role here this morning is to, with all the conviction that the Holy Spirit will give me, show you what Scripture says about human life. I'm going to say some, some hard things. I'm going to talk about how the Bible teaches that even unborn children are still children, are human lives loved and valued and protected by God. I'm going to talk about the hard truth that in our country, over 60 million American lives have ended as a result of abortion. It's been said that the death of one is a tragedy and the death of a million is a statistic. As I thought about that this week, uh, I pulled together a little map that I think helped me just get my mind around the amount of impact that this issue has had on our world. What would it be like if you went into the United States and took away 60 million lives? Well, this is what it looks like. 60 million people in our country if you took the entire population of these states and, and wiped them out. 
If you can wrap your mind around the impact that this issue has on our world. And so we need to talk seriously with all the conviction that the Holy Spirit will give us about this issue. But at the same time, at the same time, I'm sure that there are several of you listening right now in this room, in one of our venues or online, who have been a part of an abortion. Whether that's as a mom or a dad, a healthcare worker, a friend, a family member who had an influence on the decision. I'm sure there are many in this room that have been a part of an abortion. And I want you to hear something really clearly right now. There is no sin too big for the cross of Jesus Christ. There is no sin too big. Satan would love to use this morning to make you walk out as a defeated and condemned sinner. But if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, if you have repented of your sin, then you are forgiven. Believe that this morning. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died to take away your sin, whatever it is. Don't let Satan use it to defeat you this morning. My prayer for you this morning is that the Holy Spirit would use it to raise you up. Use this opportunity to fill you with a sense of God's grace for you, his forgiveness for you. That God would use you to encourage your brothers and sisters who have maybe been through the same thing. That God would use you to encourage your brothers and sisters to stand for truth and fight for the value of life. Don't let this morning be a morning that you walk away as a condemned sinner. Let this be a morning that you walk away as a beloved son or daughter of God who is forgiven. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we're going straight to the Bible this morning because, as we've already said this morning, this is not a political issue. This is a biblical issue. This has to do with what God says about human lives. So would you look with me at Genesis chapter 1? And we're going to look at verses 24 through 31. I'm going to read those, then we'll pray. Then we're going to dig into it. So let's read. Here we go. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to every, everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word, your truth this morning. Open up our ears, open up our eyes, open up our minds and our hearts. God, help us to hear you. God, I pray this morning that you would send out the truth of your gospel grace 
this morning. I pray that all of us would know this morning that we sit here guilty. And I pray that all of us would sit here this morning knowing that if we have faith in Jesus, we are, our sins have been washed away and we are your beloved sons and daughters. God, I pray that you would convict us so that we would protect life. Pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit as a broken instrument to deliver your word. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, hey, this morning as we walk through uh, the truth of God's word, we're going to do so uh, in three pieces. Uh, Christians over uh, the course of history have looked at uh, uh, hard topics using three lenses. Uh, the creation, fall, redemption is the basic storyline of the Bible, right? God made everything good. Sin made everything broken, but God didn't give up. And God has been pursuing us ever since Genesis 3 after we fell into sin. And God has been running after us. And one day Jesus will return and all things will be made new. So we're going to look at this topic from all three of those perspectives, starting in Genesis chapter 1. So point number one is this, that human life is from God. Human life is from God. Let me walk you through the text of Genesis 1 and show that to you. We just read it, so I'm not going to read each passage to you again. But we see in the beginning of Genesis chapter 1 that God created everything, right? Everything, land, sea, sky, sun, moon, stars, animals. And he created it exactly the way he meant to. At the end of uh, this passage, it says, and God saw that it was good. When the scripture says that God saw that something was good, when God says good, what he means is that's exactly the way I meant to do it. Uh, some years ago, uh, eight, ten years ago, something like that, I bought my first house down the road on Parmalee uh, here in Middleville. And uh, uh, it, was, uh, it was in rough shape, and uh, my wife and I uh, gutted a lot of it. And uh, I went in, and I hung a lot of drywall, but I knew I didn't have the talents to mud all that drywall. And some would question whether I really had the talents to even hang that drywall, but I did that part. And uh, I asked a gentleman from our church here to come in, and if he would, he was a professional, I asked him if he would mud the drywall, so he did. He came in, and he had the stilts, and he had the, and he had the trowels, and he did an awesome job, and he mudded this whole thing. And then after he had come in and mud and painted and all this kind of stuff, my wife and I decided we really wanted to extend the countertop in the kitchen and create a little peninsula right in front of the front door. And so I, I, I hung the drywall for that, got that all set up, and I thought, man, that's like a like six foot by three, four foot little space. I can't ask him to come back just to do that. I know. I'll do that. It'll be awesome. I watched YouTube. I can do this. I remember that first coat of drywall mud I put on there and I got it, I got it out and never done this before. And I, and, I, and I put the mud on and I stepped back and I remember saying, that is not good. That is not what I intended to do, right? That's not what I designed, intended, had in mind. And it's just the opposite with God. When God does something, he does it exactly the way he intended it to be. And that's how the creation was at the beginning. It was exactly the way God meant it to be. It was good. In the next couple of verses, God creates the very pinnacle of creation. God creates human beings. Let us make man in our image. Possibly one of the first references to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image. God has already made a whole bunch of other things, plants, animals, land, sea. God doesn't say this about them. There's something special about human beings. They alone are made in God's image. In the ancient world, uh, uh, images were set up uh, by kings all over their, their land, their property, their kingdoms. Statues, pictures, uh, their faces were put on coins. And the whole point was to say that these are representatives of the king. 
This is a representative of a place that belongs to him. These are the people that are going to stand for him. And the same happens with God. God puts you and I, human beings, on the earth. And he says, Adam and Eve, all their descendants, these are my representatives on the earth. They bear my image, my value, my power, my authority in this place. That's what makes human beings special. Uh, Some months ago, I had a chance to preach a sermon, and I asked you all a similar question, but uh, let me ask you again this morning. This is a picture of my four kids, Bailey, Charity, Levi, and Micah, two girls, two boys. Let me ask you a question. To me, do you think that this photograph is worth more than the paper that it's printed on? I do like my kids, those of you who weren't so sure and weren't sure if you should say yes or not. I like them. They're great. They're they're difficult sometimes, but I like them. So the answer is yes, right? Yeah. I know in monetary terms, right, this piece of paper is worth maybe a penny at the most. But to me as a dad, this is worth so much more. Why? Because these are, these are my kids. They bear my image. They belong to me. And I love them. I care for them. And God says the same thing about human beings. These bear my image. Out of everything else in the world, these are special. These are my image bearers. God doesn't stop there. In the next verse, verse, God gives human beings a mission. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God gives human beings a purpose. Over everything that that God made, God puts human beings responsible to manage it, to take care of it, to fill the earth with other worshipers of God, other human beings, to rule it in the way that God would have us do. And at the end of all that, God says something. You remember at the beginning, God said it was good? At the end of this verse, God says it was very good. That's right. I know sometimes we're tempted or told that uh, human beings are the scourge of the earth. But at the end of God creating human beings, God said something very different, didn't he? God said it was very good. That's how it was at the beginning of all things at the creation. God made man and woman, human beings, and he made it good. If I had to summarize some lessons, some truths that we learn about human life from this passage, I would summarize it in these three points. Human beings or human life is created by God, defined by God's image, and given a purpose by God. Now, if you grew up uh, going to church and going to Sunday school, you say, well, thanks, Pastor John. That was revolutionary. Um, Hopefully it's not news to you, these truths. Hopefully these are things that you know to be true. But I'll tell you what, if you watch the news, if you talk with unbelievers, if you are engaging with our world right now, this kind of does sound revolutionary, right? If, uh, if I had to put up a, a different worldview from ours, a non-Christian worldview has a very different perspective on human life. Instead of created by God, many people believe that human beings were created by chance, We believe in the Big Bang Theory and things like that, right? Human beings are not on purpose. That's all an accident. It happened by chance. That's how we got here. Human beings are not created with a definition defined by God. Human beings are created without definition, right? Think of evolutionary biology, right? Human beings are just animals that kept going. They evolved and they became more. We think of philosophers like Rene Descartes. I think, therefore, I am. Guys who have been trying to figure out for generations, what's the difference between a a human being and an animal? What is the difference? Is it that we think? Is it that we've got opposable thumbs? Like, what makes us different? The reason they ask those questions is because they don't believe what we believe about the very definition of human beings. 
They also believe that human beings, as a result, are without purpose, right? If we weren't created on purpose, how could we even have a purpose? Think of philosophies like existentialism. Say that you and I, we weren't made with a purpose. You and I have to go find or make a purpose, right? We don't have meaning given to us. We have to go and get some meaning for our lives. And that's what it means to be humans. You'll notice there's a common denominator on each side of the equation here. On this side of the equation, the common denominator is that all of these things are in relationship to God. On this side of the equation, you might notice that all of these things are without reference to God. These are two fundamentally different ways of looking at the world and looking at human life. Two different starting points, two different foundations. And I'll tell you what, it matters. It matters where you start, doesn't it? First takeaway for you this morning, ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and they say, well, I'm just saying, or it's just an idea, I've just taken an idea and planted it in your head. That's, that's all. No big deal. Ideas have consequences. Let me give you an example. Uh, when, I was, uh, when I was in high school, uh, I'm ashamed to tell you this story, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you anyways. Uh, when I was in high school, I have a little brother, four years younger than me. He's not littler than me anymore. He's actually five inches taller than me and could take me any day of the week. But he was littler than me at that time. And uh, one Friday afternoon, I decided to put the idea in my little brother's head that if he jumped off the back deck holding an umbrella, he would float to the ground. <laughs> the consequence of that idea was a sprained ankle and a missed soccer game, and then I'm sure some kind of terrible punishment for me. I don't remember specifically what it was. Must have blocked that out, but ideas have consequences, don't they? They do stuff. Things happen in the real world as a result of ideas. In our country, the idea that a human life might be less valuable because of the color of that person's skin has created all kinds of misery and death from the African slave trade on through. In other parts of the world, the idea of Marxism, communism, led to the death of tens of millions of people. Countries like the Soviet Union, the People's Republic of China, Cambodia under the Khan Rouge, people dying, misery, pain, because of an idea. Don't let anybody tell you that an idea is a harmless experiment that happens in a classroom. Ideas have consequences in the real world. I just gave you some examples of some bad ideas that have some bad consequences, but the flip side is true also. True and biblical ideas have powerful good consequences. True and biblical ideas have powerful and good consequences. Just last Saturday, uh, I got the chance to gather with 175 of our men at our men's conference here at Peace Church. It was an awesome time being with you brothers. Uh, so thankful for that. We got to study God's word. We got to pray. We got to worship together. One of the messages that was shared that day was by Pastor Daryl, and he shared a quote that really impacted me. So I want to pass it on to all of you. Um, as we think, as I think about raising kids in this world, I'll tell you what, I'll be honest, sometimes I give in to fear. Sometimes I'm afraid for what my kids are going to face in their lifetime. And I'll tell you what, this quote really impacted the way I think about that. Listen to this. It's a little bit of a longer quote, but I really want you to hear. I think there's some powerful stuff here. Don't feel sorry for or fear for your kids because of the world they are going to grow up in is not 
what it used to be. God created them and called them for the exact moment in time that they are in. Their life wasn't a coincidence or an accident. Raise them up to know the power they walk in as children of God. Train them up in the authority of his word. Teach them to walk in faith, knowing that God is in control. Empower them to know they can change the world. Don't be scared for your children, but be honored that God chose you to parent the generation that is facing the biggest challenges of our lifetime. God isn't scratching his head, wondering what he's going to do with this mess of a world. He has an army he is raising up to drive back the darkness and make him known all over the earth. Amen? Amen. This is what God has called us to, parents. This is what God has called us to, those of you that are part of the next generation. God has not called us to cower in fear. God has called us to equip ourselves with the word and to go out into the world and to make a difference. Fill our minds and teach our kids the truth of the Bible and let's make an impact. Number two, number two, human life is, we said it was from God, but it's also true that it's broken. Genesis 3 is the passage where we hear, hear the classic story about Adam and Eve eating the fruit of the tree that God told them not to eat from. Here are the verses that follow that story. It says that Adam and Eve heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what do they did? It says that they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. God called to them. He said, where are you? Adam responds, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Adam responds with the blame game, doesn't he? The woman who you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. The Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? She blames the next person. The woman blames the serpent who deceived me and I ate. Ever since this moment, sin enters the world and everything becomes broken. Everything that we just said was good and very good is now broken. Everything in the world is now stained. It is still true that human beings bear the image of God, but that image is now stained. We saw in the text, the relationship between human beings and God becomes broken, right? Adam and Eve don't run to God, they run from God. They hide from him. They're filled with fear. They play the blame game. He says she did it, she says the snake did it. You imagine after that conversation, marriage gets pretty messed up. I imagine the next conversation between Adam and Eve uh, is pretty complicated, uh, probably a little heated. The verses following this say that childbearing is now going to be painful. The image of God is not lost, but it is stained. Things are no longer the way they're supposed to be. Humans have a broken relationship with God. Humans have a broken relationship with each other. We know this. We hurt each other. In this world, we now have situations that some of us can scarcely imagine. We have situations, people face decisions that I can scarcely imagine. People face poverty, abuse, rape, unplanned or unwanted pregnancy, pain, trauma, Shattered dreams, tough decisions. Some realities that I can't imagine. And in such a broken world, what are Christians called to do? Christians are called 
not merely to be idealists, but also realists. You and I don't give up the high ideals of the Bible just because the world is broken, right? We see what God said in Genesis 1. This is the way I made it. This is the way things are supposed to be. That's still true. God still has a high vision for human life. But at the same time, we know that until Jesus returns, this world is broken. This world is a painful place to live. So I'm going to say something, and I want, to, I want you all to know that I'm preaching this as much to myself as I am to all of you. Any good sermon is preached first to the preacher and then to the people. And so I want you to know that I'm saying this as much to myself as I am to you. Listen to this. Brothers and sisters, if you're here this morning and you know that abortion is sin and you want to take a stand against it, I am really glad that you know the truth. But if you have never thought about, prayed for, or tried to help a struggling mother or child, let me invite you to jump off the high horse, roll up your sleeves, and dig into the messy world in front of us. Praise God that we hold up, praise God, praise God that we hold up the truth, but it's not enough to simply hold up a banner or wave a banner for an ideal. You and I are called to engage in the world around us. It's true that some people pursue abortion because they think it's an easy way out of a hard thing, but it's also true that many find themselves in situations where they contemplate this decision because they're in a situation that I can't even fathom. A situation that is so broken and so painful. The world around us sees problems. They try to solve those problems without God. As Christians, our role is not to try to hide those problems, not to try to bury them, not to try to put them under the rug. Our role as Christians is to try to help solve those problems with God. You and I carry the truth of God's word you and I carry the Holy Spirit. You and I are called to come alongside this broken world and to try to help people solve problems, not apart from God, but with God. Christians are not supposed to give up on God's high vision for human life. Instead, we're supposed to roll up our sleeves and try to live it out in the midst of a messy world. Point number three, final one we'll look at this morning is this, that human life is still sacred. We've seen that God made a world good. We've seen that sin makes the world broken. But we also know that God has not given up. He sent his son into this world to pay with his own life for the broken, sinful human lives of you and I. But while we wait for Jesus to come back, the question is, how will we live? How do we respond to arguments and questions being raised about human life? Once upon a time, the argument for abortion was... Uh, that human life doesn't begin that early, right? You've all probably heard that, that human life doesn't begin that early. That, 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 that's just a clump of cells. That's not a child. That's not a human being. 49 years passed since Roe v. Wade. I'll tell you what, even non-Christians are not really making this argument anymore, right? Science has basically disproved this. We know that a heartbeat starts between five and six weeks. We know that at the moment of conception, I watched a YouTube video this week, they called it the zinc spark. When a, when a sperm and an egg come together, if you don't know what that means, ask your parents later. When a sperm and an egg come together, 
there's a, there, there's a spark that microscopically we can actually see. Uh, doctors, Christian and non, have called it the light of life. Something radical happens when those two things come together. That point that we call conception, a new code of DNA, of DNA begins. Before there's mom and there's dad, and they've got their own DNAs, and then when those two things come together, there's a, new, there's a new DNA, there's a new thing, the code of human life, a new one starts. Christian or not, the argument that human life has not begun in the womb, I think is pretty much dead. Today, I think the argument is much more honest. Today, I think the argument, it's much more clear what it's always been about. It's not about when life begins. It's about our definition of freedom. Pro-abortion advocates call themselves pro-choice. They're all about the freedom to choose. And I'll be honest, they pull at our heartstrings, right? They pull at our heartstrings for the freedom of women. Because who could be against that? We certainly are not. Shouldn't a woman be free to choose her body, her choice? How can you take away the rights of a woman? How can you ask a woman to go through the pain and trauma of giving up a child for adoption when she could just have an abortion, which is so much easier? These are some of the things that we're hearing today. Now again, let me say that I can't imagine the difficulty that some of these people find themselves in where they contemplate this decision. Pregnancy does take a toll on your body. Having a kid does change your life. In some sense as a parent, I will tell you that there is some sense of a loss of freedom having kids. That's all true. But this is where it comes back to our foundations, our worldview, what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that human life is worth it. When we look at scripture, we see Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who descended into this world, who lived and who died on a cross to save human life. He believed that human life was worth it. Many mothers in our world believe that human life is worth the pain and the trauma and the difficulty. In each of the four uh, pregnancies that we've had, my wife and I have had that short little conversation. We get pregnant, uh, we're excited, and uh, a little ways in, my wife uh, just at some point takes my hand and, and she just reminds me, she just says, sweetheart, just want to remind you that uh, if we ever get to that point, Lord forbid, where you have to choose between me or the baby, you know that the answer is the baby. And I say, yes, sweetheart, Lord forbid I ever have to make that decision, but yes, I know the decision is that we're going to save that baby. Whatever the sacrifice it is worth it. Because those little babies are made in God's image. Freedom is not being able to do whatever you want. Freedom is walking with God. We sang it earlier in a song, freedom is where the spirit of the Lord is. And the Holy Spirit walks with us on the path of obedience to God. So let me just say something that might offend some, but I want to, I told you this morning, I want to be really clear about what the Bible says, so let me just draw the line in the sand. Brothers and sisters, abortion is 100% incompatible with biblical Christianity. This is the truth. 
Now, with that being said, I want to address one common objection that I faced uh, many times as a Christian. Uh, just, just about a month ago, uh, I was having a good conversation with a good friend, and uh, he raised this objection to me. I've heard this objection many times. The objection goes like this. Christians, you guys only care about unborn lives. You don't care about the lives of people after they've been born, especially the lives of struggling moms or kids. I want to real quickly give you four answers to that question. I would love to spend all kinds of time on this, but we're going to go quickly this morning. I want to just give you a few answers to this question. Number one is this. If this is true, and I am sure that it is at times and for some, I am sure that some of us, maybe all of us, have been guilty of this at one time or another. If or when it's true, let's repent and be more faithful. Let's not pretend that we don't have problems. Let's not pretend that we're perfect. Let's, let's repent and be more faithful to the Lord. Number two thing I want to say is this. The hypocrisy of Christians does not negate the truth of God. Praise God. That's good news. I'll tell you what. I don't do what this book says perfectly any week or any day or any hour, honestly. Right? But praise God, this book is still true even when I don't live it faithfully. What non-Christians are arguing against is not our lives, but the truth of this book. And the truth of this book is still true even when we fail. Number three, I think for many, this objection is actually just an attempt to justify a certain decision or position. Right? This is, this is an opportunity to rationalize, to justify, to try to poke holes in something in order to make it easier to make a certain decision or make it easier to take a certain side in this issue. I think we need to call that out and not let that be a smokescreen. This is actually not an intellectual argument. I think this is a heart argument. Number four is this. While this may be true of some, it is certainly not true of all. I want to say that especially here at Peace Church. I mentioned that about a month ago, I had a conversation with a friend where he raised this objection. And I shared points one through three kind of off the cuff with him in our, in our conversation. But that was a Saturday night, and the next morning, Sunday morning, I came in here, and I was standing in the lobby out there. And a member of our church, a brother, came up to me, and with tears in his eyes, he said, Pastor John, i got to tell you a story. I got to tell you a story about my small group this week. We got a phone call from somebody at our church that volunteers at the Pregnancy Resource Center. And there was a young woman who was thinking about having an abortion. And we got the call or the text and our small group said, well, we're going to do whatever we can to help. And they went to the store and before the end of the day, there was diapers, there was clothes, there was food, there was formula, there was bottles. Everything was ready to go for this young woman. And a member of our church, a volunteer at the Pregnancy Resource Center, sat with this woman, talked with this woman, prayed with this woman, looked at an ultrasound that week. And as this young, single mother in a difficult position looked at an ultrasound of her living, heart-beating baby and knew that there were people around her to support her, to care for her, to help provide for her, she chose life. She chose life instead of death. I'll tell you what, we Christians can be hypocrites, but it's not true all the time. And praise God, there are some people doing some awesome things in this church to protect human life, and I'm thankful for that.
If you're asking the question this morning, how can I be a part of this? How can I support life? I want to real quickly give you a couple of answers. I don't have time, unfortunately, to go into detail on each of these, but I'm just going to put these before you to think and pray about this week for yourself. How can you support life? Let me give you a couple answers. Number one, you can support the Pregnancy Resource Center. If you don't know about that organization, look them up today. It's an organization that we partner with at Peace Church. They, uh, they have teams of people. Some of you volunteer with this, uh, with this group to pray downtown, uh, right next door to an abortion clinic, to talk with young women who are thinking about having an abortion, to help provide resources to them, clothes, formula, food, whatever it is that they need. Safe Families is another ministry in our church that comes alongside of, of, of parents and children who are in a tough spot, tries to provide for them, care for them, support them. Community groups, as I mentioned, one of our small groups at Peace Church is how uh, uh, the Pregnancy Resource Center got connected to people who could help, people who are willing to go to the store, buy some stuff, come on by, help somebody out, join a community group, get connected with somebody that you can support. Support moms, find somebody that you know that's in a difficult spot, support them, help them, provide for them. Support foster care and support adoption. And I use those words specifically. Some of you in the room are called to adopt. Some of you in the room are called to do foster care. Others of you are called to support those who do. Not all of us are maybe called to do foster care of adoption, but all of us can play a role in supporting those who do do that. Pray. Brothers and sisters, you and I are called to pray. God moves when we pray. There's an important trial at the highest court in our country right now. There are people all over Middleville and Caledonia and Grand Rapids and our world whose lives can be changed through prayer. Pray. Last one, speak up. Say this briefly. In the first century when the New Testament was written, people lived, Christians lived under a Roman emperor. Okay? They didn't vote for him. They couldn't write him letters. Okay? He said stuff, they did it. That's the way life worked. You and I live in a democracy. We have a voice. You can speak, you can vote, you can write letters, you can do things. You and I have opportunities to speak up and to protect the lives of unborn children. Far be it from us if we pass on that opportunity. Let me close with this by coming back to this idea of what freedom is. Brothers and sisters, freedom is not being able to do whatever you might want to do. Freedom is living in Christ. Freedom is walking with the Spirit of the Lord. Freedom is walking in God's ways with God. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you this morning for the good news of the gospel. For Jesus, who lived and died and rose to save sinners such as us. God, we thank you. And God, we also pray this morning that you would protect life. We pray that you would move in the Supreme Court, in Middleville, in Caledonia, in Grand Rapids, in the United States, in the world, protect human lives. God, I pray that you would use us, use the people of Peace Church to support and protect life. Pray this all in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen.